Good afternoon, ladies and gents, boys and girls, extraterrestrials within the deepest, darkest outreaches of space. Anyone listening to the sound of my voice, welcome to the introductory podcast episode, History's Tattoos. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year. It is Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. We've journeyed out of the woods, out of the thick vegetation of chaos that was 2020, into a new year, walking into uncharted territory, leaving 2020 behind. But I'm surprisingly optimistic and hopeful about this new year. You know, with anything new comes anticipation and hesitancy of the unknown. Yet there's something so refreshing about starting out on a clean slate, you know, wiping off the residue of our past. I was on Facebook a few days ago, and I saw a post that really stood out to me. And I know what you're hoping, I know what you're hopefully thinking, that Facebook and social media in general isn't always a location for credible and accurate uh, sources of information. However, the quote uh, is in direct relation to this discussion. I found it pertinent uh, to actually... um, use this because it really just puts things into perspective you know the cycle of starting fresh and new and the quote itself was attached to brad paisley when i saw the post and i haven't fact checked this so i can't confirm nor deny the authorship of this intellectual property in which it belongs Uh, however it's stated and i don't i don't have the quote uh you know directly in front of me so i can't you know quote it verbatim but it basically stated and i'll put it in my own words that this new year uh, is as a new pristine book, uh, complete with 365 pages, blank, empty, and without blemish. The book rests within one hand, the other the ink and quill. And we have before us a new story ready to be written, and it's up to us to make it a good one. So when our hand rests a 365-page book, it's up to us to make it a good one. So with each decision, each decision is as the stroke of a pen. Every year that pen finalizes a chapter of our story for the year. It crosses the I's, dots the T's, as it's finished. As it finishes the final chapter. Yet our story isn't just ours. It isn't just ours to read. It's read by countless others around us. And we have to, pro- we have to propose this question. Would we in fact want our children reading the story that, that we create, reading the story that we author. Is it something that they would be proud of? Or would it make them turn their heads in shame and disapproval? Now, as a year we have just came out of, we certainly have faced our share of trials and tribulations, and I don't know where your head is at. You know, society stigmatizes those who respond to certain emotional stimuli and do not or cannot resolve their problems in a way that is socially acceptable. You know, perhaps it affects your job performance. Uh, perhaps issues that you face or have faced uh, led you to turn to alcohol or other substance abuse. You know, society judges you as being a drunkard, an alcoholic, a junkie, but what they fail to see is the individual behind the user, the downward spiral of self-destructive behavior. You know, so many people, they never smell the smoke, but they notice once the house is burning and there are those who question the parental ability of a mother who takes medication for anxiety labeling them crazy pills or the man who goes to therapy twice a week is tears well up in his eyes his heart heavy grieving as he plunges into the chair wait, uh, patiently waiting for the next discussion to make it through the week 
He notices the judgmental glances of the secretary as he catches her eye, thinking to herself, this man is such a uh, disgrace to his masculinity. I've seen more mature composure in my four-year-old, but the man sitting in the office, unbeknownst to her, lost his wife and children in a tragic car accident. And the mother who takes prescription medication labeled as crazy suddenly became a single mother two months ago. Her husband left her with three kids and she's struggling to pay her bills. She works two jobs and is feeling guilty for not being able to spend time with her children. You know, these are fictitious accounts, but it certainly brings into focus how quick we judge and how slow we are to take into account compassion and empathy for battles that other people are facing. Uh, you know, a lot of times we're so unaware of their existence. And I have one last example that I would like to read. You know, I've been this year. I wanted to start something different, and I I guess I I set a a new New Year's resolution that I I haven't set before, and what that that was, um, one of the things anyway, is I've been wanting to read one book each month uh, all year. So at the end of the year, I've read 12 books, and really just setting... A realistic goal, Um, you know, a book that I can definitely read in its entirety. So, you know, nothing over uh, six or seven thousand, six or seven thousand pages a month. No, I'm, I'm I'm literally just kidding. Um, Nothing over, you know, two, two hundred fifty, three hundred pages. You know, something realistically um, that I can read a little bit every day, and you know read it in its entirety within the month and one of the first books that I picked up was Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People Um, it's over 75 years in print one of the best selling books uh, of all time and I really wanted to read a brief excerpt because it really ties into you know what what I was talking about Um, and so I'm going to read just a brief uh, excerpt um, from this, uh, but it really puts things into perspective. And Carnegie uses um, a political figure uh, to to make his point in this illustration. And he uses Lincoln, uh, who was always very influential uh, to me, very influential president, um, such an influential historical figure. Um, I admire him greatly. Um, So I'm just going to go into uh, reading this brief excerpt from Carnegie. And it says, The Battle of Gettysburg was fought during the first three days of July, 1863. During the night of July 4th, Lee began to retreat southward, while storm clouds deluged the country with rain. When Lee reached the Potomac with his defeated army, he found a swollen and passable river in front of him and a victorious Union army behind him. Lee was in a trap. He couldn't escape. Lincoln saw that. Here was a golden heaven-sent opportunity, the opportunity to capture Lee's army and end the war immediately. So with a surge of high hope, Lincoln ordered Meade not to call a council of war, but to attack Lee immediately. Lincoln telegraphed his orders and then sent a special messenger to Meade demanding immediate action. And what did General Meade do? Well, he did the very opposite of what he was told to do. He called a council of war in direct violation of Lincoln's orders. He hesitated. He procrastinated. He telegraphed all manner of excuses. He refused point blank to attack Lee. 
Finally, the waters receded, and Lee escaped over the Potomac with his forces. Lincoln was furious. What does this mean? Lincoln cried to his son, Robert. Great God, what does this mean? We had them within our grasp and had only to stretch forth our hands, and they were ours. Yet nothing that I could say or do could make the army move. Under the circumstances, almost any general could have defeated Lee. Well, if I had gone up there, I could have whipped him myself, Lincoln said. In bitter disappointment, Lincoln sat down and wrote me. He wrote him this letter. And remember, at this period of his life, Lincoln was extremely conservative and restrained in his phaseology. So this letter coming from Lincoln in 1863 was tantamount to the severest rebuke. And the letter, the letter states, My dearest general, I do not believe you appreciate the magnitude of this misfortune involved in Lee's escape. He was certainly within our easy grasp, and to have closed upon him would in connection within our other late successes have ended the war. As it is, the war will be prolonged indefinitely. If you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, how can you possibly do so south of the river when you can take with you very few, no more than two-thirds of the forest you had you then had in hand. It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect, that you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I'm distressed immeasurably because of it. What do you suppose Meade did when he read the letter? Um, Meade never actually saw the letter. Lincoln never mailed it. It was found among his papers after his death. My guess is, and this is only a guess, that after writing that letter, Lincoln looked out of the window and said to himself, Just a minute. Maybe I ought not to be so hasty. It is easy enough for me to sit here in the quiet of the White House and order me to attack. But if I had been up at Gettysburg, if I had seen as much blood as Meade had seen during the last week, and if my ears had been pierced with the screams and shrieks of the wounded and dying, maybe I wouldn't be so anxious to attack either. If I had Meade's timid temperament, perhaps I would have done just what he had done. Anyhow, it is water under the bridge now, and if I send this letter, it will relieve my feelings, but it will make me try to justify himself. It will make him condemn me. It will arouse hard feelings, impair all of his further usefulness as a commander, and perhaps force him to resign from the army. So as I've already said, Lincoln put the letter aside, for he had learned by bitter experiences that sharp criticisms and rebukes, rebukes almost invariably end in futility. Theodore Roosevelt said that when he was president, he was confronted with a perplexing problem. Any time he was confronted with a perplexing problem. He used to lean back and look up at a large painting of Lincoln, which hung above his desk in the White House, and ask himself, what would Lincoln do if he were in my shoes? How would he solve this problem? The next time we are tempted to admonish somebody, let's pull out a $5 bill out of our pocket, look at Lincoln's picture on the bill, and ask, how would Lincoln handle this problem if he had it? So like I said, tying that in, you know, just really putting... You know, it's it's something that we hear all of our lives, you know, to put ourselves in someone else's shoe, you know, to really look at things from another perspective. And I never really, to tie my head around that, but it's something so simple that we overly complicate. And it's life-changing once we can actually diminish the selfishness of our own prerogatives and look at things from the angles of someone else. 
Um, it's you know very important. It's one thing that I really want to start doing this year, uh, in order to you know really just create some positive changes uh, in myself and in my attitude. And like I said, you know I'm just I'm a lot more optimistic um, this year than I've been in years prior. And you know one thing that I've been trying to set in place, implement are. Um, a few New Year's resolutions and going back to the 365 page book, you know, there's so many times that we, we set, you know, we set goals in place and we look at the big picture and we don't realize exactly what it takes uh, to get there. You know, society uh, focuses on success, but what it fails to shed light on, you know, the spotlights on success, but what it doesn't shed light on are the years of struggle, the years of trial, the years of tribulation, of failure, of heartache that it actually takes in order to achieve uh, the, the uh, success, the desired uh, outcome. And a lot of that, t- uh, a lot of uh, reasoning behind that is, you know, a lot of times we set unrealistic expectations for ourselves. You know, it's not that we can, it's not that we can accomplish uh, great things. It's just that we unjustifiably set unrealistic expectations without setting small goals in order to reach uh, those expectations. And uh, you know, another important thing is um, throughout the year when we start failing, you know, when, when we're trying to reach uh, certain goals that we've uh, tried to implement for ourselves and we see that we're not su- uh, succeeding uh, at that, you know, we, we, we need to think that we have we have a blank 365 page book. So if one page out of that book is something that we want to correct, you know, something that uh, we didn't anticipate happening, something that we didn't desire to happen. We have hundreds of other pages to make it right. So if we see ourselves failing the first day of the new year, we have 364 more pages uh, in order to see that through. And it's really important, you know, just to be patient with with yourself uh, in this new year. You know, there's, like I said, there's so many times that I've tried to, uh, you know, reach, reach certain goals and saw myself failing at said goals and ended up just, you know, totally, completely throwing up my hands and giving up instead of, you know, standing back, backing up, approaching it, um, Approaching it critically, logically, you know, coming up with a new angle in order to, you know, achieve the goal. Um, you know, there's a, a particular quote from uh, Thomas Edison that comes to mind. And like I said, I don't have the, again, I don't have the uh, quote in front of me verbatim, but, you know, it basically just talks about, um, you know, Edison is saying that, you know, he's found thousands of ways to fail, um, but he only has to find one way to succeed, one way in order to make it right. So again, you know, learning from those mistakes and, you know, recorrecting uh, our behaviors are imperative for this new year. 
but I'm not going to ramble on. Uh, what I want to talk about now is our upcoming podcast episode. And you know, I've always been a student of history. I've always loved history. And one specific thing that I've always wanted to cover is the assassination of John F. Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States. And so our first podcast episode is going to be entitled The Day in November, That Day in November. And what we're going to do is, uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is Jesse Ventura, They Killed Our President, uh, 63 Reasons to Believe That There Was a Conspiracy to Assassinate John F. Kennedy. And most of us believe in some form of conspiracies, conspiracies broadly defined. Um, and what I want to do is take these conspiracies. Most conspiracies, however, do not hold any water whatsoever. They're based on complete and utter falsehoods, misinformation. And what I'm trying to do here is compare these uh, conspiracy theories to the official uh, Warren Commission uh, report. Now, we do know that certain agencies uh, deliberately uh, withheld information from the Warren Commission. And that led to the Select, uh, Select uh, Committee on Assassinations, uh, which then investigated uh, the assassinations of John F. Kennedy and... Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. later on. And the determination of that committee believed that there was indeed a conspiracy. But what was that conspiracy? Stay tuned to find out. Like I said, we're going to compare and contrast um, these conspiracies to the official Warren Commission uh, report. And we will allow the reader to come up with their own conclusions. Again, we are not here to be conspiratorial uh, and to approach the assassination based off of conspiracy alone. And that's, you know, that's one thing that I definitely want to uh, state. Um, we're going to approach this with a unbiased uh, lens unbiased viewpoint. However, uh, it's unfair just to look at something from one particular angle. We are going to uh, approach many different theories, uh, many different eyewitness accounts to the uh, assassination. And we're looking forward to it, and I hope you guys are too. Stay tuned, because it is coming. I'm just trying to condense, consolidate information. Uh, right now, I'm running into 20 minutes, uh, so I'm going to get off of here, because I can go on literally for hours on this particular subject. Uh, so I'm going to try to condense and consolidate maybe a 15 to 20 minute uh, episode each and every time. Um, I hope you guys have a good new year. And I look forward to putting out our first episode. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.